This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to episode 88 of the Equalizer podcast. I'm John Halloran, and I'm here with Ray Curran. Uh, We have just uh, finished up the 2019 College Cup, where Stanford and UNC went 0-0 in regulation, 0-0 in extra time, 4-4 through five rounds of penalties. And in the sixth round of penalty kicks, uh, Stanford goes on to win the 2019. 19 NCAA championship and uh, Ray, we'll start with you. What are your overall thoughts on the game? Well, I think as you know, far as scoreless draws go, it's pretty exciting. I mean, sometimes you know those that have been around for a long time know some scoreless draws are boring and some aren't. This had some excitement. There was a lot of hand wringing over North Carolina's style, over a lot of calls that weren't made. But I think you know, I don't know what people expected North Carolina to do going up against a Stanford juggernaut. And I thought it worked for the most part and. Stanford had the most chances. They came on in the second half. A couple went just wide. North Carolina came close a couple of times to stealing it. But in the end, the, the best team won. So I guess that's what we got out of that. Yeah, I thought it was uh, – I agree with you that for, for a 0-0 game, it was pretty exciting and, and definitely a physical contest. And, you know, I think sometimes – and we watch these College Cup finals and they're playing on this short rest, you know, where they're on 48 hours rest. And, and sometimes the games aren't that exciting and tend to have a kind of a slow – plotting pace but this game really was fun to watch as a neutral I thought yeah I thought so too I thought you know and again I think North Carolina set up ironically they were in a a 4-4-2 they've kind of mixed it up a little they did not play that way in the semifinals and that was kind of what the North Carolina courage do I think I'm sure that's where Anson Dorrance got the idea from where you saw them pinch very narrowly and try to cut off Stanford Stanford finally adjusted a little bit to switch the field and get some of their wide players involved and obviously um, got Macario involved in the second half as well. But I think, you know, the, the lineup or the setup Dorrance had was a lot of what we saw out of, out of Paul Riley in North Carolina. Yeah, you know, it was funny that you, you mentioned the setup because um, watching the semifinal game, I, I kind of wondered to myself whether North Carolina playing a three back against three forwards was was courageous or suicidal. And then uh, Washington State, of course, opened the scoring. And I thought, OK, well, there's the answer. Uh, but we saw them go into that four back in the final here. And I thought that really neutralized uh, Stanford's attack. And I thought it really helped kind of shore up some of North Carolina's vulnerabilities back there. And I really thought, especially in the first half, North Carolina um, probably had a little bit more of the ball. And it really wasn't until the second half where Stanford started to establish their possession a little bit better. I think it looked a lot like the courage in the first half where their pressure just got to Stanford. They could not get the field switched. And a lot of people, and Julie Fowley pointed out at one point, and it's the same, I laugh because, you know, we hear this all the time with the courage. Well, if you can do this, this, and this, you could beat them. Well, (laughs) teams haven't done it, so that's the same thing. You know, Stanford, you know, obviously had a little bit of an edge over whatever, and they were able to do it. And, yes, it is there, but you have to do it. 
And they finally right. did, like I said, in the second half. But I mean, it's not if it were that easy, I'm sure the other eight NWSL teams would be doing it by now, too. Yeah, I, I don't understand when people act like pressure is, is a negative. You know, they criticize right. them. Well, it's just like, well, what are you supposed to do? Give them all sorts of time out of the right. back and let them let them build out of the back. You know, just uh, it, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me either. But um, well, let me t- let me ask you this. Who do you think tonight in just tonight's game? Not not over the whole weekend, but just tonight's game. Who do you think uh, stood out for each team? Well, do we start with Katie Meyer? Because, I mean, yeah. she's going to be this. She's going to be the star out of this, I think, tonight, you know, which give her credit. She got the job done when she needed to. And, you know, she knew where the cameras were at all times. And, that's, <laughs> and, there's, not, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I mean, and, and she won the game and it makes it a little more fun, to be honest. And obviously a lot of attention was given in the semifinal to after the, the penalty kick was saved her little in watching the final again, having seen that, it, I think it's just who she is. I mean, obviously you have to be careful with that. You can get yourself in trouble, but you know, it looked like it was all in good fun for the most part. Yeah. And I thought Dickie for, for North Carolina and goal also had a, had a solid game. There was, um, she saved that shot from Sophia Smith in the first half that there was that low near post drive that she pushed wide. And then in the 65th minute, Macario snuck through, and Dickie handled that. And then there was that big save in extra time, too. So she had at least three big moments on her part, keeping North Carolina in the game as well. Yeah, and I think she had her moments in the semifinal as well. And I, I think I watched one other game this year where she was tough, too. So we'll see. She's only a sophomore. And for her to be a sophomore and starting at North Carolina, I'm sure she's got a lot of potential. So definitely somebody to keep an eye on, I think, going forward. And I thought uh, I thought Macy Bell for North Carolina really stood out uh, for me. Obviously, tonight it was in a losing effort, but... Uh, but she, I thought, had made a number of important plays to keep North Carolina in that game, especially in the second half when, when Stanford's pressure really started to mount. Yeah, I do think she struggled a little bit. There's a lot of hype surrounding her, probably with good reason, I'm sure. But I thought she struggled a lot in the semifinal, a lot with that three-back. And Morgan Weaver gave her all she could handle with from Washington State yeah. with a lot of physical play. So she did struggle in that semifinal. But again, she's only a freshman. She was one of the players called in by Vladko Andonovsky, so I'm sure you know, for the, for the camp that they're going to have for the national team. So I'm sure she's got a lot of potential as well. Yeah. And I think that the total number of players that we saw this weekend uh, heading into that national camp next week, it was seven. So obviously we got to see a lot of quality out there. Yeah, I think 10 college players altogether, if, if I remember correctly in seven, like you said, that were in, in playing this weekend. Anybody else you want to uh, point out from tonight's game? Um, I think, you know, obviously, you know, as you have the Stanford, I think they were held in check a little bit tonight, but you did see Macario, you saw yeah. what she could do in the second half and you're like, yeah, that's her, you know, they, they held Sophia Smith, you know, in check too, as well. And I give North Carolina credit for that. Their defenders are, you know, and it's such, it's so hard to tell, I think for me, the jump from college to pro, like what makes, I mean, sometimes you can just see it with Macario, but you know, Sophia Smith uh, obviously is a great player, too. When you look at Haley as well, Madison Haley for Stanford, does she make that next jump? There's so many college players out there that it's hard to tell. It is. It is. And I totally agree with that. Um, and also that Macario was good tonight. And Smith, Smith, I thought, was really close. It looked like a couple of times to to creating something special. But obviously uh, that didn't happen and it went all the way to penalties. So, uh, well, that's it for the first segment uh, for the Equalizer podcast. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. All right, so it's crunch time now. Two days from this recording, Wednesday, December 11th, the price of registration for the United Soccer Coaches Convention goes up. So you want to get that done as soon as you can. United Soccer Coaches Convention coming up January 15th to 19th, 2020 
in Baltimore, where we will be. The Equalizer podcast team will be there on Podcast Row recording podcasts, special podcasts with a bunch of really great guests. We had a bunch of great guests uh, this this past convention in 2019 and expect a lot of uh, great times as well in 2020 and some great podcasts, great conversations to bring your way. Um, so, you know, you can come and catch us and, and chat with us and obviously get a ton of great uh information and education at the the convention so make sure you register before the 11th that's this wednesday because the price is going to go up then hope to see you there in baltimore Uh, i'm jeff kasuf take care welcome back this is episode 88 of the equalizer podcast with john halloran and ray curran Uh, Just a reminder to rate and review this podcast on whichever platform you are listening and visit our website at EqualizerSoccer.com. We're talking about the 2019 College Cup. Uh, We're moving on to talk some more about the individual performances from this weekend and also to take a quick look back on the semifinal round as well, where Stanford uh, beat UCLA 4-1 to to advance to the final. And UNC beat Washington State 2-1. to one. Both of those games were comebacks. Both teams that played in the final went down a goal and had to push push their way back to make the final uh, on Sunday. Uh, Ray, what other players from this weekend overall? I know you mentioned Morgan Weaver at one point, too. Um, do you think kind of uh, made an impression on you with their play? Well, I mean, I think if you look at, you know, when you look at UCLA, they had, I was trying to watch a little bit because I know Kaya McCullough, as a projected first-round pick by a lot of people looking at the NWSL draft. She didn't really stand out much in that game. That's hard, too, to judge when you watch somebody once. You know, you never know what you're going to get, too. I mean, right. you, you have the obvious ones for uh, for UCLA, which we know Jesse Fleming. We know Ashley Sanchez, who, you know, we'll have to see what they do. And it, it was interesting, by the way, that Macario was left off of Vladko Andonovsky's camp. I think that's for obvious reasons, because she's not committed to the United States yet, but... You know, but I think when you, when you look ahead at the players going to the draft, again, obviously Morgan Weaver played excellently in the semifinal. And I don't know what this run, I think she'll probably benefit more than anyone from the NCAA tournament run. And, and she's tough. I mean, just judging off that, I would think she's an NWSL player. But again, I mean, there's a lot of players out there. Yeah, I, I was looking a little bit at, at some of Weaver's stats, you know, 15 goals this year, 13 goals last year. A lot of pace, physicality, looks to have good size. I think, you know, um, might even be a a player that drops into the second round. Maybe somebody picks her up and gets a bargain on her. Um, Macario, interestingly enough, they said on the broadcast, didn't get called in because she had a a commitment already in Brazil that that she had made. So at least she is on Andonovsky. Well, she is at least on Andonovsky's radar. So, um you know, that'll be one to look forward. But as you mentioned, she's kind of in this FIFA purgatory right now where she doesn't right. really have a, a national team. Um, and so that's something that's obviously going to have to be worked out. I'm sure Marta has her number. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and then, the, you know, another player we didn't get to watch this weekend was Emily Fox, who yes. had a number of national team call ups and. Uh, uh, tore her ACL in the quarterfinal game, so we didn't we didn't get a chance yeah. to watch her as well. Yeah, I think um, that hurt North Carolina a little bit tonight too. But, oh, yeah. definitely, definitely. You know, it was it was interesting. You know, we talked about them moving into that four back, and I think we you know would have expected to see Emily Fox in that right back position. 
Um, and uh, they said on the broadcast that the player who played there for North Carolina tonight had never played right back, which seemed a, yeah, a bit it was, shocking uh, to me. Bridget, I made butcher her name, but Bridget Andrzejewski, a senior, which is, you know, and Anton Dorrance is known for that. He has Julia Dorsey on the other side, who's a lacrosse player, who's just a great yeah. athlete. Who, you know, that's what they do. I mean, that's a lot of playing outside back is a lot of being a great athlete, at least at that level. So, you know, and one of the things that I looked at, too, when you when you talk about Morgan Weaver is that she did give Macy Bell so much trouble. I mean, she wasn't going against, you know, right. she's going against that. That's what struck me in the semifinals that Weaver did very well against Macy Bell. So we'll see what that means going forward. Yeah, and it was, you know, mentioned Dorsey. I thought she was somebody who really stood out to me. She's only a freshman. Mm-hmm. which uh, is surprising too. the fact that, you know, she didn't seem to be bothered at all by the moment, seemed to compete very well on this stage, you know, in, in under the highest pressure against the best players. Um, yeah. Didn't see much from Brianna Pinto, who's gotten some call ups on the youth national teams as well. I don't think she played, you know, her best this weekend. But, you know, again, it's only two games. Yeah, I don't think she got on the ball a lot. It didn't yeah. seem like that way. They did mention on the broadcast that she'd been given some responsibility to tuck in on whichever side Sophia Smith was on. And I did notice later in the game that Pinto was involved defensively uh, on a couple of big plays, but, but you're right. It didn't seem like she had that kind of impact, at least uh, taking the ball forward for North Carolina that we would have expected of a player, yep. you know, kind of with her pedigree. And somebody we missed in the first segment, uh, Naomi Gurma, the center back from Stanford, who looks in the Becky Sauerbrunn mold of just being completely comfortable on the ball, almost too comfortable as a coach. Like, Oh my God. But then she's fine. You know? So <laughs> I think, I think, uh, you know, she'll get, obviously she's been called in by Vlad Antonovsky and I'm sure we'll hear that name again too. Yeah. She was a player who really impressed me with the U twenties back in 2018. I thought the way that she read the game showed a maturity beyond her years um, and then another player on the, on Stanford's back line that we didn't mention Kiki Pickett, um, right. I thought played, played really well. There was one moment, I don't know if you remember in the semifinal where she burst up from that right back position, cut into the middle and just blew right through the, the center backs. And you, you know, you watch a right back ending up being the highest forward player on the pitch. Yeah, um, and she did it once tonight, I think, too. It didn't result in a scoring chance, but then they, they pointed that out once, too. And she got beat up a little bit tonight, too. She got banged up a couple times, but she came through it. Yeah, and uh, Madison Haley's probably another player that we should uh, give a shout-out to. Uh, Stanford's number nine, playing up top, doing a lot of good yeah. hold-up work. So basically the whole Stanford team, which isn't <laughs> that surprising because they <laughs> crush people this year. That was one of the more dominant teams that you'll see. And I made this point when I wrote uh, about the semifinals is that Stanford's I mean, North Carolina is not that far behind, but Stanford, I think, is your best program right now, your go-to program in college soccer. I mean, they proved it all year this year. The only game they lost, I think they outshot Pepperdine 22-3 or something silly like that. And then tonight, so that's why, you know, all the hand-wringing over North Carolina's style of play. I mean, what did you expect them to do coming into this game? But, you know, it is what it is. Well, the thing that impressed me when we talk about Stanford is looking at that semifinal game, you know, beating UCLA 4-1. to And the week before, UCLA had just dismantled Florida State. Mm-hmm. And so to think that a team could be that much better than a team that had dismantled the team that was already one of the best teams, that there was just this, uh, you know, and I know that you can't apply the transitive property to soccer right. in the way that some people do, but to just watch that Stanford do what they had done this year, uh, even that BYU game, um, yeah, in their was, quarterfinal yeah. match. And BYU just, was undefeated. Right. Just incredibly impressive to watch Stanford 
make great teams look utterly average uh, was really impressive. Like we just talked about the depth of what they have is, yeah. 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 Well, do you think, let me ask you this, because I'm looking at Stanford's lineup and I'm looking at these key players and even, even some of the other key players from, from North Carolina. Um, A lot of these players are underclassmen. Do you think we're looking at any situations where we have a, a Tierna Davidson, where any of these players might decide they've gotten everything they can from the college game and to take a shot at the pros a year or two early? I mean, I, it depends. I mean, I think, I mean, Macario is the one you look at, obviously, right now, right. because I mean, and I think, you know, a lot of it's tied in with the national team, the way we are now, obviously, the, it, it's slowly, you know, the NWSL is starting to get money and we, we don't have time to talk about that. But I mean, that what it's going to come down to. Is it worth it for me to leave Stanford for two years, you know, financially, you know, as it was with Mallory Pugh, because she was getting the salary from the Federation, you know, right. it was, it's, you're not going to leave for, you know, $50,000 a year. No offense. You know, but uh, but if you're getting the money to do it, then which some of them you would think probably the NWSL would want that. You think Vladko Andonovsky would want that, but we'll have to see where it goes going forward and how that happens. I don't. They, they may be maybe a couple of years before we get there, but I'm sure we're going to see it again. Yeah, I think, and you're absolutely right. You know, when we're talking about whether or not this is worth it. You've got to think about the, you know the monetary side of this equation, and and obviously. Um, you know, what the college degree is worth long term and how long a player is going to play professional soccer. Um, but it was interesting too talking to somebody, you know, a lot this year, like Tierna, Tierna Davidson, who ended up in Chicago and, you know, somebody who's obviously smarter than probably all of us. Um, <laughs> yeah, Stanford, combined. Stanford is um, the hardest school, I think, to get into right. in the country right now. You know, but her talking about how she can still, you know, go back and finish her degree or hand, you know, do things online and stuff like that. So there are a lot of different ways. It's not the same kind of traditional college education that I think a lot of us grew up with or, or kind of uh, think about the way that, that people go to college now or the way that people graduate college. There's different ways to go about that. Um, you know, I look at it, let me ask you, let me put it to you this way. If we're talking just developmental, if we're looking at this from a purely developmental perspective, are there any of those players you saw this weekend who just aren't going to get much more out of, of college soccer from that perspective? Well, I mean, you look at somebody like Ashley Sanchez, I think, I mean, Sophia Smith, I think those two certainly would be the other two besides Macario that stand out to me that would, yeah. you know, are certainly can play skill wise at any level right now. I mean, Gurma is another one. I mean, I think you, like you said, she's, I think she's ready, I mean, to play certainly professionally, if not on the national team. But, you know, I mean, you know, you're going to be – and it's hard. You know, there's a lot of people that want to play on the national team, obviously. But, I mean, you know, who's going to be Becky Sauerbrunn's replacement eventually is probably in the mind of Vladko Andonovsky. And Germa's just, you know, has got just as good a shot as anybody right now, I think. So he'd probably want to see her as much as he can playing against professional players. And that's – we'll have to see, you know, how that goes going forward. Right. Okay. Well, that's it. We're going to wrap up segment two here and we'll be back in just a minute with segment three of the Equalizer podcast. Welcome back to segment three of the Equalizer podcast. It is time for the Equalizer soccer sports reference stat of the week brought to you by our friends at sports reference. Check out their ever expanding catalog of women's soccer stats at fbref.com. Dot com. That's F-B-R-E-F dot com. Uh, this week's stat, Stanford is uh, the team of the decade when it comes to College Cup appearances, with seven of those appearances 
uh, this decade and three titles more than any other school and nine of their last or nine of their 10 college cup appearances have been since 2008. And as Ray pointed out in the break, uh, tonight's game was only the second penalty shootout in the title game. The other being in 2004, Notre Dame versus UCLA and two coaches. Most of us would remember Randy Waldrum's Notre Dame beating Jill Ellis's UCLA. Um, so speaking of shootouts, Ray, I wanted to ask you, what did you make of Katie Myers reaction after her save in the semifinal match? Well, I mean, I think, I think that was a little worse than what happened tonight in the final, I think, because, you know, she probably should have been booked for it when you watch it again, to be honest. Yeah. But I think everybody missed it. So I think that's a little more dicey than what she did tonight. I mean, there's a place for it. I mean, you know, you need your goalkeeper to be a little bit crazy. I mean, anybody who's <laughs> coach knows that. So, yeah. but, you know, it is what it is. You had a big penalty save, you know, so I'm not going to go that nuts about it and say we're ruining soccer. But I do think she should have been booked for it. Yeah, you know, I, I felt like I had this kind of dual thought about it. On the one hand, yes, it's over the line. It's unsportsmanlike. But on the other, you know, there is a raw emotion to it. And it's something I feel like we would see 30 times in a typical NCAA football game, you know, with one yeah. player standing over another. And we don't think about that for two seconds when we see that in a football game. But for some reason, you know, in, in this type of environment, we we're kind of holding her to a higher standard than we would. Right. Um, people in that situation, which right. uh, it, it seems like a, a double standard. And I think you have the, the sexism factor, too, in there, too, that if it yeah. happens in men's soccer all the time, happens in men's athletics when a woman does it, you know, so you have that involved, too. So, I, you know, right. as a referee, I think if I would seen that cleanly, I probably would have booked her. But at the same time, like you said, there's a lot of other factors. It's not not going to worth, you know, spending a whole lot of time hand wringing over it. Right. And I thought tonight was funny. I thought tonight was pretty hysterical when she was pointing at the cameras and <laughs> all that stuff. I mean, and now her name's out there. I think I think I put it over a break. Meg Linehan pointed out I think she has 682 Twitter followers as of 11 p.m. So we'll see what she has 11 p.m. tomorrow. Probably a few more than that. Yeah, she's a little more famous now, right? Yeah. She's up to I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so we're getting to questions here. Uh, and I apologize, I'm probably going to mess up the pronunciation of this name here, but Godwin Oakley. Uh, asks, uh, with potential MLS-style homegrown player designations coming to the NWSL, what percentage of teams will sign a homegrown player in 2020? Do you think homegrown player slots push Dallas, L.A., and San Jose to set up NWSL teams, three MLS teams with girls' academies and no NWSL squad? So what do you think about uh, the homegrown player rule and the questions that uh, Godwin had, right? I think the answer to the first one of that is zero, um, unfortunately. Yeah. I think the the second one, I think just because, well, the problem is the MLS set it up a lot of times to avoid college soccer is why they put the homegrown rule in so they can get people out um, of their homegrown system and put them into their, you know, what they have to do. And some went to college anyway, so some might, but in women's soccer, we're not quite in a place yet where, I mean, more than, there may be somebody that skips college soccer. Obviously, Mallory, Mallory Pugh basically did. Um, so there'll be a few that maybe skip college soccer, but not a whole bunch of them. I don't think that it's worth it to, to give up a scholarship for that. So I think zero for the foreseeable future. I think the second part of that is an interesting point though, is that will, you know, teams, a lot of the, there obviously are academies everywhere nowadays between you have, 
you have the development academy, you have ECNLs, you have, you know, competing factions as it is, you know, will that prod some of those teams to try to get an NWSL team? I thought some might have bid already. I thought San Jose might be one when you watch that final tonight that might have bid already for an NWSL team, uh, and they have not. So, so I don't know. And it seems like, you know, when we look at the teams that they're going to be added, Sacramento and Louisville, that there, it seems like th- there has been a shift where the NWSL wants to go after smaller market teams that they may be a bigger fish in a smaller pond these days. Yeah, and uh, I would just direct anybody listening to to check out uh, the piece that we had run this week on Equalizer that had uh, Paul Riley, Rory Dames, uh, Hugh Williams, and Charlie Namo speaking out about the youth system in America. Um, some very strong opinions on their part. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting, too, with this homegrown thing, because it does it does always kind of seem a bit unfair if you've had a, a player who's been raised by a team and then they go through the draft process and then, you know, you don't get to take advantage of, of what you helped build. Um, I'm not sure the NWSL is anywhere close to being able to make that, um, you know, as, as big of a process as it would need to be. Um, just because the the lack of academy teams right now that are affiliated with those clubs. But uh, I think it's probably something that, uh, you know, 15 years down the line might be making a difference. So why not get started with that now? Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing to throw out there. But I think it's going to be a while before we see fruits of it, basically. Yeah. So, uh, well, our friend Claire Watkins, who uh, also works for the Equalizer, uh, asked me specifically a question. She wanted to know, John, do you think Katerina Macario would like to be a Chicago Red Star? Um, Which I think is is an interesting question. I think, of course, with uh, the loss of Sam Kerr, Chicago is going to be looking for some offensive firepower uh, next season. I think uh, Macario being a number 10, though, makes it uh, a little bit more problematic for her to come straight into Chicago because you already have at least three other players with Vanessa DiBernardo, uh, Yuki Nagasato, and Morgan Bryan capable of playing that number 10 position. So uh, I will say, though, that Chicago does have four first-round draft picks in the 2020 NWSL draft, so they do have a lot of room to maneuver if there are any players in particular that they're hoping uh, to bring in. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that one specifically, Ray. No, I mean, it. Uh, I don't really have any inside info into what, you know, Katarina Macario is going to do. I mean, she has a few options. You know, we'll have to see. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I'm sure everybody wants her at this point. And where she right. decides to go is up to her. Right. Uh, Ryan Alden asks, uh, when will Anson Dorrance retire? What do you think about that? I think it's coming soon. I, You know, I mean, does Heather O'Reilly get that job at some point? We'll have <laughs> yeah, to see. Maybe. I mean... You'd have to think, but her, you know, being there is one of the things, you know, he's had such a legendary career. Um, you know, it, it's going to be up to him when he wants to go. I mean, the field's now named after him there. So, I mean, you know, it might come at any time. It could come as we're speaking, but it could be another five years. You know, who knows? Yeah. And, I, you know, I always feel like people are, are pretty hard on Anson, at least maybe the, the younger generation who criticizes his sub patterns or his style of play. Right. Um, you know, and I think people too should remember the impact that he's had on women's soccer in this country, not only with his, his 22 titles at North Carolina, but being coach of the national team, uh, helping guide that team to the 91 world cup championship. Um, I was surprised that he's 68. I didn't realize he was yeah. that old. Um, so he's, well, he's definitely not a young man. Yeah. He's been around since the seventies. He was actually a good player in his day too at North Carolina. And he had coached, at one point, the men's and women's team, right. and actually everybody right. thought he was going to go to the men's team, 
and he did not. And that was what history was made that way, you know. And I think, you know, being old school, I know we had a comment on a broadcast on an NWSL broadcast a couple of years ago that, you know, was uh, insensitive, I, yeah. I should say. Um, you know, and I think it would give him credit that he kind of owns up to that stuff. He's not one that would, you know, what I'm saying. But at the same time, it wasn't, you know. Yeah. So it is what it is. I mean, that's where. So you can see why he rubs some people the wrong way, basically. But, yeah, he has been very significant to the development of women's soccer, obviously a World Cup winning coach as well. You know, so he's got a lot in his resume, certainly. Right. And our last question comes from Catherine Treishman, who says, how do you think the winning team, Cough Cough Stanford, would fare against Sky Blue? What do you think about that? <laughs> you want to go last year's Sky Blue team or this year's Sky Blue team? <laughs> yeah, I do think, I think there's a difference there. I think it's the old NBA question, though, where, like, could Kentucky beat yeah, – and I think an NWSL team nine times out of ten is going to beat a college team, maybe even right. you know, whatever. I think it's a different level of play. And it goes back to what we talked about to start this, that it's hard to make a read on some of these players who look so good in college to make that step to the next level because it's a big step to playing the best people in the country. It's not – I mean, the best professionals. It's It's a giant step. That I'm sure, you know, Katarina McCario will make easily, but, you know, for a Morgan Weaver or somebody like that, I mean, she looked great to me this weekend. She'll, will she score 10 goals in an NWSL season? I mean, who knows? I mean, who knows what, what Bethany Balser was going to do last year either? So certainly there's exactly. a chance, but, you know, that's, that's above our pay grade, I think, to see, to, to see that in some of these players. So, so the, the bottom line of that question is that I think any NWSL team would beat Stanford regularly, but not every, maybe not every time, but regularly. Right. Yeah. And I, I think it, it's hard, maybe easy to forget that, that, you know, when you look at your typical NWSL team, even even ones that aren't very successful in the league, that their rosters are comprised of players who were all top college players. Right. And some international players as well. So, yeah. Right. Right. OK, well, that's it. That wraps up episode 88 of the Equalizer podcast for Ray Curran. I am John Halloran and we will see you next week.